That's on me. Sorry, that's my fault, not their fault. So uh, that is so awesome. It's so awesome to see Jeff get baptized and we just celebrate. Yeah, let's just celebrate again with him. That's so cool. That is so cool. And uh, <clears throat> my shirt's a little wet now, and, uh, but man, I'll take that all day long. I'll preach with a wet shirt every week if that's what we get to do. So that is really, really cool. But, uh, but yeah, I just want to say, like Steve mentioned a moment ago, welcome to Grace Church. We're so glad you're here. Whether you're in the room or you're watching us online, we just want to say welcome to you as well. And if you're a guest with us, uh, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. But I also want to let you know that if you are a guest, uh, you're actually catching us in the second week of a series that's called Neighboring. And so if you are just joining us, uh, very simply, what we're doing in this series is uh, this entire series is really centered on and it's centered around something that's called the Great Commandment. Now, most of you have probably heard of that before. The Great Commandment, of course, actually refers to a very famous response that Jesus gave to a very important question. And so uh, the response was uh, a man came up to Jesus and he asked him the question, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And so someone came up to Jesus and they basically said, you know, the, the Bible's full of a lot of laws. The Bible's full of a lot of words. There's a lot of things it says, a lot of commandments that are in there. If you could just summarize it, if you could just distill it down, what is the greatest commandment, which is the most important thing to follow? And Jesus actually gave an answer to that question. And the answer is recorded in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And so last week we started talking about this. We said, isn't it interesting? Someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, the singular greatest commandment? And Jesus actually responds with two. He says, to love God with every fiber of your being and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in, in Jesus's mind, these two commandments are so tightly woven together that they are inseparable, that you have to have one, that both go together. You cannot have one without the other. It's to love God and love people. And so in this series, here's what we said. We said, what, what if, we just simply are asking the question, what if we, what if those of us who follow Jesus, which I know is maybe not everyone here today, some of you might still be investigating your faith, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we said, what would it look like if we took these words, not just as a wise saying, and not just as a sentimental phrase, but what if we actually took these words literally and we took these words seriously? Uh, what if we said, hey, you know what? We wanna be people who pursue the great commandment, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. We wanna pursue that, we wanna pursue that uh, seriously and we wanna pursue that literally, like with our actual neighbors, like the people who actually live in the house next to us or the apartment next to us or the dorm room next to us or our actual classmates or our actual coworkers, what would it look like if we pursued those things? And so last week, you might remember, here's what we said. We said, here's our desire for this series. Here's kind of our goal. Our desire is that we hope to teach, encourage, inspire, equip, and release the people of our church to live out the great commandment in our everyday lives. And I just wanna mention, by the way, if you missed last week's message, I actually would really encourage you to go back and maybe listen to that. Uh, you can watch or listen to that on our uh, website, our app, our podcast, on YouTube. There's a lot of different places you can catch it. But the reason I would ask you to do that is because last week, I think we laid a very important foundation that is uh, kind of important to what we're talking about here this week. So I would encourage you to do that. But last week, here's just kind of what we did. Last week, we spent our entire time dealing with this question. 
We said, hey, if we're going to be people who take this seriously and literally, then we better start by defining our terms. And so who exactly is our neighbor? When Jesus says to love your neighbor, let's just start with this. Who is our neighbor? And so we spent all of last week looking at Jesus's explanation and his response to that very question in Luke chapter 10. So this week, what I want to do is I actually want to ask another very important question, and that's this one. So last week was, who is my neighbor? This week is, how do I love them? So what specifically does it mean to love my neighbor? Can we be specific? Can we be practical about that? What does that mean to love my neighbor? So to to talk about this today, I want to invite you. Why don't you grab your Bibles with me, and would you turn with me to Luke chapter 6? Luke chapter 6. And by the way, uh, page 837 is where you'll find Luke 6 in the Bibles that we have provided for you. So feel free to use those if you need to. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, you do now because you can have one of those. You can take it home with you and we would love for you to do that. Okay, so Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're uh, finding your way to Luke chapter 6, before you read the passage, I want to just kind of uh, maybe explain to you a little bit of why I think this passage is so relevant and important to what we're about to talk about today. So last week I mentioned this. I said, I believe that the great commandment that we just read, I believe it's timeless. I think it's timeless. And what I mean by that is it is relevant to all people at all times and all places. It's just something, no matter where you are in space or time in history, the great commandment is timeless. Yet at the same time, I also believe that the great commandment is very timely. It's very timely. And what I mean by that is I believe that right now, the time and place that we find ourselves in, I believe that there's a unique set of factors that create a heightened need for those of us who follow Jesus to renew, but also to revisit our commitment and our practice of the great commandment. Now, some of you are like, what do you mean? unique set of factors. Well, let me give you a few factors that at least come to my mind. So here's a few. So we live in a time, and I think all of us know this, we live in a time right now uh, of hyper-individualism and increasing isolation. I probably don't need to convince you all of the studies that are out there. We probably don't need to look at all of those for me to convince you that it is true, that we live in a time where it is hyper-individualistic and growing more individualistic, and that we as a society of people are growing more isolated from each other. Uh, There's tons of studies. My guess is this is a lot of the experiences that we have found in our own lifetimes. I thought it was interesting. There was an article that came out just a couple years ago. It was called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Say Fewer Americans Than Ever. And the article was written by Catherine Roth, and this is what she said. She said, it turns out that being neighborly is something of a lost art in America. In the 1970s, according to Pew Research, more than 60% of people socialized with their neighbors at least once a month. Today, that number has shrunk to about 45%. Now, this is interesting. According to research, a third of Americans, one-third of Americans, don't have any interactions with their neighbors at all. Another study says that half of us can't even summon the name of the people who share our buildings and our blocks. And so there's a growing isolation But in addition to that, I think another factor is there's a great polarization. Uh, There is an increasing polarization. Social commentators will point out that our nation today is more divided on political and social issues than we have been since Civil War times. And so uh, when you think about political and social issues that are dividing, we are not only growing in isolation, we're also growing in polarization. And then I think a third contributing factor is that we live in a time that's increasingly post-Christian. Now, we've talked about this sometimes here at our campus before, that this is one of the trends that, we're, that you kind of see in the, the society around us. But according to a study that was released two years ago by the Barna Research Group, they actually revealed that the words that are most often, most commonly used to describe Christians today 
are the words uh, irrelevant and extreme. The most common words to, to describe Christians, uh, those who follow Jesus today. The same study actually showed that about 46% of Americans believe that people of faith and religion are, are part of our country's problem and not part of our country's solution. So again, and none of this really should surprise any of us, but I, I, I think what we're saying is that none of this changes the great commandment. It doesn't change the great commandment. It doesn't change Jesus's command for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But, but I think that for those of us who do follow Christ, this presents some interesting dynamics that we have to navigate when it comes to loving our neighbors, right? So for example, how do you love your neighbor when maybe your neighbor thinks that you're part of the problem? Right? Or how do, you love, how do you love a coworker or a friend or how do you love a, a classmate when maybe they want absolutely nothing to do with you? Right? What is it like to engage in, in, in the great commandment in a circumstance like that? Uh, what does it look like to, to truly and genuinely love our neighbor as ourself when maybe our neighbor, our coworker, our friend, or whoever it is, sits on a radically, extremely different side of an aisle or an issue or a value system than we hold? And what does it look like to cling on to the great commandment and not let it go, even when we find ourselves in dynamics? Because here's the truth. It is really easy to love your neighbor when your neighbor is easy to love. It's very easy to do that. But what if you find yourself in a really different circumstance where maybe it's more challenging? Now, you guys, this is why we turn to Luke 6. In Luke chapter 6, I believe that what we're going to see is that Jesus, in this passage, is actually going to help give us a definition, uh, and he's going to help set the standard of the kind of love that he desires from his disciples. He's going to help us define what kind of love is he calling us to, and what does it mean to love our neighbor. So we're going to take a look. We're going to start off in verse uh, 27, Luke chapter 6. And you guys will see when we read this, these are very famous words from Jesus and a very famous sermon that he gave. And here's what Jesus says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemy and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the most high because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your heavenly father is merciful. So again, these are maybe some of the most famous, some of the most beautiful words that Jesus speaks. But at the very same time, some of the most challenging words that Jesus has ever spoken what Jesus is doing here is he's calling his disciples, those of us who follow him, to a radical new standard of love, a love that extends even to what Jesus would call our enemies. Now, I think when we talk about this idea of loving our neighbor, and we talk about some of the dynamics that are at play in the circumstance that we find ourselves in right now, I think it might cause us to ask three questions. I think there's three questions that it causes us to ask that I believe this passage answers. And so what are the three questions? Well, here they are, very simply. I think what we ask is, love our neighbor. Okay, so how far should I go? Love my neighbor. How far should I go with that? Okay, and then what should I do? 
So you, you say, love my neighbor. What exactly does that include? Can we be more specific? What do we mean when we say we should love our neighbor? And then number three, why should I bother? If what I just read is so extreme, if this is such a foreign and alien kind of love, why would I even bother doing that? So I think that Jesus is actually gonna help us answer all three of these questions. So let's just think them through together. The first one is super quick. How far should I go? How far should I go? Well, I don't know if you guys noticed in this relationship or in this, uh, in this, uh, this passage, Jesus actually gives, he actually gives a bunch of different categories of relationships. So the way the passage is set up looks something like this. So Jesus says, love your enemy. And then he reasserts that at the end, love your enemy. And then in between, he gives us a whole bunch of different categories of relational dynamics. Now, if I'm reading this right, I actually think what Jesus is doing is he's saying, love your enemy and then it's almost like a drop-down list. Like, he, like we ask, like, well, who's my enemy? And Jesus is like, well, let me give you some definition. And so that would be people like those who hate you, uh, those who curse you, those who mistreat you, those who uh, slap you, which, by the way, in studying this passage, I am convinced that what Jesus had in mind here was probably insult. So back in the first century, if someone backhanded you, it was, a regular, it was kind of a common form of insult. So those who insult you, those who take from you, those who don't love you, those who don't do good to you, those who do not repay you. And so Jesus is expanding this list. And, and you guys, here's what I think is, I think this is really, really helpful. I think what's, what's helpful is take note that Jesus here in this passage, he assumes, he's talking to his disciples, and he assumes that in our relationships, we will encounter these dynamics. In other words, it's not a matter of if you're going to experience relationships like this. It's a matter of when you're gonna experience relationships like this. I think that's helpful because my guess is if you really stop and think about what Jesus is saying, for a lot of us, we can probably start to fill in some names of some people who are like, yeah, I, I can think, oh, someone who didn't repay me, someone who doesn't want good, someone who's curt. I think we can think through those things. And yet Jesus is gonna say, how far do we go with it? Love your neighbor. He's gonna say, go all the way with it. Love even these neighbors. Even these kinds of neighbors are who we love, which I think once you start to realize that, it causes us to ask the second question. And the second question is, okay, so what should I do? So can we be specific? What exactly does loving someone like that, someone who mistreats me or curses me or someone who insults me or mocks me or doesn't repay me, what exactly does it look like to love them? And you guys, can I just say, again, this is where I feel like God's word is so helpful and I think that Jesus's words are so clarifying. Because I think what you're gonna see in this passage is Jesus actually helps us get very specific and he helps us get very practical and what it looks like to fulfill this commandment to love. And so what is he gonna show us? Well, I want you to notice one thing first. I want you to notice that Jesus says that we are to love our enemies, to love our enemies. Now, there's a very specific word that Jesus uses here when he says that we are to love our enemies. Now, some of you might know this already, but in the Greek language, right? So the Greek language is the language that the New Testament was originally written in. There's actually a lot of different words for love. So we have one word for love that we use and we, it's like a junk drawer term for us. We use it for everything, but they didn't have that in the Greek language. They had different words to specify the kind of love. And the kind of love that's used here, some of you, this won't surprise you at all because you might know this already. The word that's used here is actually the word agapeo. It's the word agapeo, which is derived from the word agape. Now, you've probably heard of the word agape. What is agape? 
Agape is a very specific variety of love, very specific. And what kind of variety is it? It is the love of God. It is the kind of love that God has for us that is fully displayed in the person of Jesus. That's what agape is. Now, to be more clear, much more than a feeling, much more than just a warm feeling, agape involves caring for someone regardless of their response. That's what it is. So I want you guys to understand this. Beyond emotion, agape is centered on action. That's what it is. I actually really appreciate the way one author said it. I thought this was really helpful. His name is Thomas Terrence. He said this. He said, love is often used to denote sentiment. We can easily assume that love for a neighbor encompasses warm and positive feelings. But this is an error that can actually hinder us from loving our neighbors. I love that. It's an error. It can actually hinder us from loving our neighbors. The fact is that we do not have such feelings towards everyone, and we cannot manufacture them at will. If loving our neighbor requires this, we would be in a hopelessly impossible situation and we would be tempted to give up our faith. Now, I'll tell you why I think that's so helpful is because what you're gonna find is agape is not an exercise of our emotions. Agape is an exercise of our will. It's our, it's our actions, it's a decision to act in the best interest of another person regardless of how they might receive that or how they might respond or how they might feel about us. So agape is gonna show up in deliberate actions. I think this is why, I want you guys to notice, in the very same breath that Jesus says, love your neighbor, he's going to say, do certain things. Love and do. He doesn't say, love your neighbor and have good feelings towards them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, love your neighbor and be besties. He doesn't say that. He says, love your neighbor and then back it up with these actions. You're to do certain things. In fact, he actually, I think he summarizes this whole section with these really powerful words. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now that might be possibly the most famous thing that Jesus ever said. There's actually a a term that we have for those words. You guys might know it. Sometimes called the the golden rule. You guys have heard that. Do unto others what you would have them do to you, right? The golden rule. Now, I just want to say something about the golden rule real quick. And this is a little bit of a side tangent, but I promise it, it, it relates to what we're talking about. Some people have pointed out that the golden rule is not exclusive to Jesus. It's not exclusive to Christianity, that every world religion has some version of the golden rule. But what I actually want to show you, that's, that is true to some extent, but what I actually want to show you is that when you really consider the words of Jesus compared to the other golden rules, I think you're going to see that Jesus's words stand in a category of their own. So let me, let me show you what I mean. I'm going to show you a few different golden rules. So Hinduism, here's uh, their version of the golden rule. This is the sum of duty. Do not unto others, which would cause you, you, would cause you pain if done to you. All right, or how about this one? Uh, this is Buddhism. So hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Right, this comes from uh, Jewish rabbinic teaching. So this is from the Talmud. It says, what is hateful to you, do not to your fellow man. That is the entire law and all the rest is commentary. Uh, even in Greek philosophy, this is from Isocrates. Do not do to others that which angers you when they do it to you. And then the oldest one is actually an Egyptian proverb, which says, do to the doer to make him do, which that one's just like straight manipulation, what that one's talking about. So, but I just, I want you guys just to think this through with me. All right, look at all of these, these they, they all sound similar, right? They all have this, a similar cadence to them. They almost have the same structure to them. 
But do you notice something, something really interesting about these? Do you notice that all of these commandments that are on the screen, you could satisfy every single one, every single one of those by doing nothing. You don't actually have to do anything to fulfill. It's more about what you don't do than what you do. And yet if you look at Jesus's words, they are categorically different. Uh, one commentator pointed it out this way. Leon Morris says, he says, Jesus gives the rule in the positive form which no one else seems to have done. It's not enough for him that his followers abstain from acts they would not like done to them. They must be active in well-doing. So you guys, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Agape love, what is agape love? Here's what it is. It is deliberate, proactive, self-giving action. That's what it is. What is agape love? Decisive, physical manifestations and actions. That's what it is. So you might be saying, okay, So specifically, if that's what agape is, it's proactive physical manifestations and actions, can you give me some examples of what that might look like? Can we be more specific? So yes, again, I think you guys, Jesus's words are so helpful here because I think that if you look at what Jesus just said, you can probably categorize these actions, I believe, into three things. Like there's three actions that we're called into. And what are they? Well, here's the first one. Okay, so how do we love our neighbor? How do we love our, even, even our neighbors who are hard to love, even the neighbors who we might classify as an enemy, our coworkers, or how do we do that? Well, I think the first one is this. We deliberately, proactively bless them with our words. One of the ways that Jesus is gonna say that we love, we show agape love is with our words. What is one of the physical manifestations and actions of loving other people? Well, here's one. We physically use our voice box. We, we audibly speak Words. We use our words. Here's what Jesus says. He says, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Now, I just, I want to just unpack something real quick. The word bless is a word that's used in a lot of different places in the Bible. But what you might not know is that Jesus uses a very unique word here. It's a different word than he usually uses when he talks about blessing. And the word again, not to nerd out too much, but the word again is this word right here. It's the word euologeo eulogeo, which the word you means good, and then logos means word. So literally, what is he saying? He says, say good words. Say good words. Speak well about and to another person. You guys might even observe this word right here. You could probably see it. We actually get an English word from this word. Do you guys know what English word we get from this one? We get the word eulogy. So if you guys ever been to a funeral, someone gives a, gives a eulogy or a eugoogly, you guys ever heard that when someone gets up and gives a eulogy? What are they doing? They're saying good words. That's what they're doing. They're, they're speaking well. They're honoring a person's life. That's what they're doing. And so what does Jesus say? He says that we should speak well. We should speak good about and to other people, even to those that we would call our enemy. You guys, it blows me away how much the Bible is going to talk about the unbelievable power that was, is within our words, how unbelievably powerful our words are. You can read about it all in Proverbs. I can't help but think of the book of James. Here's what James says. Look at this. In James chapter three, he gives us three illustrations of the power of our words. Look what he says. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, our words, It's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
He says, the tongue is also like that. The tongue is like, I want you to think about these three illustrations he gives us, you guys. I think this is brilliant. So he talks about a, a bit in a horse's mouth. And he talks about a small rudder on a gigantic boat. And he talks about a small spark that sets a forest fire. Do you guys get the point? What he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, our words have a disproportionate amount of power in our lives and in our relationships. Our words have a disproportionate amount of power. For good or for evil, our words have a disproportionate amount of power. Not to belabor the point, but I just want you to think about these illustrations with me for a minute. So get this, a $25 one pound bid, I looked this up on Amazon this week, can steer and control a half ton, $100,000 thoroughbred. Is disproportionately powerful. Think about this, a rudder on a boat, I, I actually looked this up, I thought it was interesting, on average, a rudder on a boat makes up 1.5% of a boat's size. And yet it can steer the entire ship, an entire cruise ship can be steered by, think about a forest fire, a small spark could ignite a wildfire. You guys have been watching the Canadian wildfires, acres and acres and acres and acres. What, what do you see? Disproportionately powerful. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. You guys, I think if you want to change the direction of your relationships, if you want to change the direction of how your relationships are going, one of the small ways that you can do that that makes a huge impact is how you use your words. I believe this is true in your marriage. I believe this is true in your friendships. I believe this is true in your family. And I believe this is true with your neighbors. Even those that you might say are difficult or your enemy, your coworkers, those who are around you. I think one of the ways we do that is with our words. You know, I think for those of us who follow Jesus, I think there's many of us, many of us, myself included, who we want to, we want to make a difference in the world around us uh, for, for Jesus. We actually want to make a difference. We want to stand out because of our, our belief and our, and our hope in Christ. But I think for some of us, what we believe is we, we think that the way that we're going to do that is by standing, it's like kind of standing up for the biblical definition of marriage or standing against abortion. And let me just say real quick, by the way, I think all that is right and I think all that's good. I think we should stand up and we should stand against some of those things for sure. However, you guys, I think that often one of the most underrated ways that we stand out is by how we use our words. Jesus says, you should bless, you should bless, you should speak well of and to others. That's what he says. So you might be saying, so practically speaking, can you give me some examples of how I could integrate that on in my life? So yeah, let me give you a few examples of how I think this looks. Here's the first one. How do we deliberately bless with our words? You guys ready for this one? So simple. Greet people. Like greet your neighbor. Say hello. Say hello, even to the person that you would have a hard time saying hello to. Do you guys know, this might, for some of you, you're like, that doesn't, that's not spiritual. Do you guys know that that is actually something that Jesus said? Look what Jesus says in a parallel passage. Jesus said, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? He says, listen, if you just, if you just greet people that you like, and if you just greet people that are your friends and greet people that are like you, he says, you're not doing anything different than what everyone else does. Part of how we bless people is just, listen, it's just saying hello. Here's a, you guys, this is a very, very, very practical challenge for you this week. What if this week you deliberately said hello and smiled to three people, three people that you would be more tempted to avoid otherwise? What if you just did that? Some of you are like, that'd be no problem. I could do that before I leave church today. There's a bunch of you all I don't want to talk to. 
So I had to stop my way out. But I'm like, it's such a simple thing. Jesus says, greet, greet. How about, how about this one, you guys? Um, not cursing others, not cursing others. You guys, I, I honestly think that one of the ways that we can bless the people around us is not just by what we say, but also by what we don't say, by what we choose to refrain from saying. By cursing, I don't necessarily mean using profanity, by the way. By cursing, what I mean is speaking evil about or against another person. I think that what, the, what this could be, it could be a resolution to say, I'm not going to speak in a way that purposely degrades another person or degrades their reputation. I am not gonna spread gossip. I won't spread slander. Even if I hear that someone is slandering me, I refuse to enter into that. Why? Because I'm, I want to bless. I wanna use my words to love. That, that is an active way that we show agape love. How about this one, you guys? I think, again, super simple. I think encouragement and compliments. Um, saying something, finding something encouraging to compliment someone on, sending a note, sending a text, sending an email, sending a letter, just simply saying it, you guys, don't ever underestimate the power of an honest and a genuine compliment or a kind word. I I love what uh, Mark Twain said. He always had a way with words. Mark Twain said this. He said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And I like that because I'm like, I totally know what he's talking about. Have you guys ever had that when someone gives you a genuine, honest compliment and you're just like, man, that really put wind in my sails. It was a really encouraging thing to hear. I think that what, what, I'm, and what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that that means that we just try to use flattery. I'm not saying that we lie or that you deny challenging aspects about a certain person. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is, listen, agape love is proactive. Agape love is deliberate. And one of the ways that we deliberately love others is we do so with our words. Here's another one I think Jesus gives us. Again, I think we deliberately bless with our words. I think the other one is we deliberately bless with prayer, with prayer. This is exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, agape love, how does it show up? Here's one way is you pray. You pray for those who mistreat you. You pray for those who mistreat you. And so I want you guys to take note, Jesus says to pray for. So some of you might just need to underline that word for. Because some of you are like, well, I would love to pray. I'd love to pray for my enemy. I want to pray that God would put an itchy rash in an embarrassing location, right? It doesn't say, that's not it. It doesn't say pray against your neighbor. It says that you're to pray for your neighbor. I actually thought this was, uh, was, was kind of cool. I was reading one commentator pointed something out that I never thought of before. And he had said that, you know, most likely Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience here in, in this sermon, and when Jesus would have said to pray for someone, they actually had a common prayer of blessing that, that they, among the Jewish community they would pray. And so they probably thought of that prayer. And what is that prayer? Well, let me show it to you. This is the prayer. The prayer goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Now, can you guys imagine praying that way, praying that way? for those who mistreat you, for those who harm you, even for the neighbors who are difficult. God, I pray you'd bless them. God, I, I pray that you would be gracious to them. And the way you've been gracious to me, I pray you'd give them peace. Imagine praying that way. I think that's part of what agape love is calling us into. So practically, how do we pursue something like this? Well, let's give you a few quick things on this one. I think one good way is to pray by name. Pray specifically by name for the people in your lives, for your neighbors. If you guys were here Last week, you might remember we introduced you to this chart. Uh, If you weren't here last week, you'll wanna go back and listen to it to make more sense of it. But it's actually very simple. It's not rocket science. Basically, we said, hey, if this is your house, 
if this is your condo, if that's your dorm room, whatever, who lives here, 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 if this is your dorm room, who lives across the hall here, who lives over here, those kind of things. And, and here's what we said is, can you put in their names? Do you know their names? Do you know any relevant information about them? What do you know about them? We said, hey, what if we just started right there in loving the people around us? We said, if you're a student, right, this is homeroom and that's your desk. Who sits here? Who sits here? Who sits here? What if you started right there? This is your cubicle at work. Who sits here? Who sits here? You get the idea. We said, what if we just started with the people who are directly around us? And what, listen, what if you prayed, what if you prayed for each one of these people by name? Which leads me to the second practical recommendation, and that's this. What if you scheduled that? What if you scheduled it? What if you literally put it in your calendar to say, I am going to deliberately, deliberately, remember agape love is deliberate. I'm gonna deliberately pray for the people who are around me. Uh, you guys know we live in an age of, in, of incredible technology. And of course, we always talk about the challenges that technology brings, but there are also some really great advantages to technology. I don't know if you guys have ever heard, there's a couple of really awesome apps that are out there. There's an app called Echo Prayer. There's another app that's called Bless Every Home. And these apps are designed to give you notifications and reminders to pray by name for the people who are around you in your life. It's incredible. Maybe leverage something like that to actively pursue this as a habit in your life. How about this one? Here's another quick practical. What if you did a prayer walk? What if you went through a prayer walk? What if you, you know, the, the fall weather is upon us? It's beautiful outside. What if you just said, you know what? Me and my family, Maybe just me, I'm gonna walk around my neighborhood. I'm gonna pray as I pass a house. God, I pray you bless them. I pray you'd help them. I pray you'd be with them, whatever is relevant around your school. Something like that could be really, really practical. So how do we love our neighbors? I think specifically we do it with our words. We do it with our prayer. Here's the third thing. We deliberately bless with deeds. We deliberately bless with our actions, with our deeds. So here's what Jesus goes on to say. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Now, you guys, there is so much that we could say about these verses. And there's much more we could say about them than we have time to unpack even in today's message. But I think what happens sometimes when we read these words is oftentimes we find ourselves questioning these verses. And sometimes those questions look something like this. We'll read this and we'll say, now hold on a minute. Is Jesus just saying that if we're his disciples, that that means that we should just let ourselves be taken advantage of? Is that what this is saying? I think sometimes we read this and we say, is Jesus saying that if we're his disciple, that means that we just need to open ourselves up to abuse? Is that what he's talking about? In these words, is Jesus just saying that if we follow him, that we should just passively let people walk all over us? Is that what Jesus is saying? And I just, again, there's so much more to say about these verses than we have time to, but let me just tell you what I'm convinced of. I believe for sure, I don't think Jesus is talking about passively letting other people take advantage of us. I don't think that's what he has in mind here. I guess he's in view. I think for sure there are times when it is right and it is good to call the police. I think there are times where it is necessary to set healthy boundaries because that's the wise thing for a relationship. I think that that's absolutely true. In other words, what I'm saying is, I don't think Jesus is calling us into a kamikaze project. I don't think that's what this is. However, I think here's what he's getting at. If I understand what he's saying correctly and I understand what agape love is, I believe the truth is this. I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, when you open your life to other people, 
and when you open yourself to relationships and when you're willing to get into the lives of other people and allow, and allow others to get into your life, you're going to get hurt. You are going to get hurt and you're probably gonna hurt other people along the way. And so there's gonna be times that you're gonna get mocked, you're gonna get mistreated, you're gonna get misunderstood and you're gonna get taken advantage of. I don't believe that what Jesus is advocating is that we passively let other people take advantage of us. I think what Jesus is calling us into is that we are proactively being people of agape love. I think that's what he's calling us into. This isn't passive, this is active. You are actively doing something to love these people. Here's what I believe. I believe that what Jesus is calling us into, those of us who follow him, is he's calling us to be cycle breakers in the same way that he is a cycle breaker. What do I mean by that? Well, I think we all know this. Whenever you're in a tense relationship, it is very easy to fall into a vicious cycle. We all know this so well. You hurt me, I hurt you. You snub me, I snub you. You take advantage of me, I take advantage. You insult me, I insult you. Your dog poops in my yard, I spray weed killer on your flowers, right? And uh, by the way, that's not a confession. I've never done that, all right? So just to be clear, I've done other things I'm not proud of, but not that one, all right? And I'm just saying, all of us know this. It's just too easy to fall into that cycle in relationships and with your neighbors. Some of you have long-standing stuff like that with neighbors and coworkers that are in your life. And I think what Jesus is saying is, look, someone's gotta step in and break that cycle. And it's gonna take purposeful, active, agape love to break that cycle, just like Jesus did for us. We were in a cycle of rebellion and sin against him, and he came in, and with agape love, proactive, self-sacrificing love, he broke a cycle, and he's calling us to do the same. He's saying, that's what I'm calling you. You are the ones. My disciples are the ones who break the cycle. So some of you are saying, well, how do you do that? Well, give me some practical things. Okay, well, just, I mean, you guys, this isn't rocket science. Uh, physical acts of kindness. Lending a helping hand. What's it? Uh, how about this one? Being willing to freely offer and give of your stuff. You have a need. I have the thing you need. Here you go. It's just stuff like that. Just easy, not crazy stuff. How about this one, you guys? How about gift giving? Gift giving. You know, guys, I, it's, just, it's crazy to me. It's amazing to me. Did you guys ever notice this? It's amazing to me how one small act of kindness can completely soften a person's heart. Did you guys ever notice that? One small gift, one small act of kindness, when someone just breaks that ice, and it's amazing how much that can soften a person. I was, I was reminded of this reality a couple months ago. So a couple months, uh, several months ago now, uh, my wife and I were going to Starbucks. And so uh, it was a Saturday morning, and we pulled into the Starbucks on 18 right up here, and we were gonna go through the drive-through, and there was a long line. And some of you guys know if you've been to that Starbucks, there's actually uh, two ways that you can enter into the parking lot, and then you drive to the drive-through. And so my wife and I went in one way, and uh, and after after we pulled in, mind you, um, another car, a very nice, very expensive sports car, uh, pulled into the other driveway and proceeded to gun it and cut right in front of us in line. Um, now, I gotta be honest, because it's church. Um, my initial response was nothing like what we just read. All right? I, wasn't like, I wasn't like, I will pray for them and bless them with my words. That wasn't, that wasn't what came out of me. Um, so I, I 
I, I immediately made some judgments about the kind of person who would do something like that. I'm sure I mumbled some stuff under my breath, but I was, I was like, it's cool. It's fine. It's no big deal, right? No big, just let it go. So I let it go. So we wait in this line and it's a long line. The car, and the car in front of me finally gets his drink and he drives off and I'm like, great, fine. Get out of my life. Your car's dumb. And he drives <laughs> off and then I get up to, I didn't say, but then I got up to the, to the window and I got out my credit card and the barista was there and I was getting ready to pay, you know, the $74.99 for my cup of coffee. <laughs> and, I, um, and I was like, oh, here you go. And she goes, well, no, no, you're, you're, you're covered. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, the guy in front of you was eager to pay for you. And I, I was immediately like, what a guy. <laughs> and I looked at my wife. I was like, I told you this whole time. It's like, can we put a couple breakfast sandwiches on there too? And I didn't know but Amazing, though, how immediately my heart was just, because small acts like that can make, they can make up a huge difference in people's lives. I think that's a big thing. Um, how about this one? Just being generous. I mean, we'll talk a lot more about this next week, but just being a generous person. Uh, just, just saying, you know what? Come to our house. We'll open our house. Come over for the game. All those kind of things. Because Halloween's coming up. Be the house that gives out the good candy. Right, don't, don't pass out toothbrushes. Don't. Do that to kids. It's child abuse. So I guess really good. Really good. Anyway, all right. So last question. Why should I bother? So some of you are hearing this. You're saying, okay, how far should I go? We should go all the way. And you're like, and, and how, what, should we, what should we do? Physical, tangible acts of love towards people. We pray. With, we use our words. We pray for them. We use our actions. And some of you are saying, okay, okay, that sounds, sounds good in theory you don't know the relationships that I have in my life. Why would I ever do this? Why would I bother? Can you give me one good reason why I should engage in these ways? And actually, let me just tell you, I can't give you one good reason, but Jesus in this passage actually gives us three. Here's what Jesus says. So watch this. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything in return. Now look at this. Number, uh, reason number one. Then your reward will be great. So why do we love this way? Well, here's one reason. Because Jesus promises us that he will reward us for this. Um, now, it, it's interesting to me. I think, listen, we have to be realistic about this. There is no guarantee that if we bless people with our words and that if we bless people with our prayers and that if we bless people with our actions, there's no guarantee that they're gonna respond well. There's no guarantee that it's gonna soften their heart and that it's gonna win the relationship. It might but it might not. In fact, for some people, doing these things might be the very thing that fuels their animosity further towards us. But what I want you to understand is agape love demands no such response. It does not, resp- it does not demand that you reward me for loving you this way. Agape love recognizes that even if you never do, it doesn't matter because my father in heaven is the one who rewards me. So that's the first thing. Here's the second reason. Your reward will be great and then you'll be children of the Most High. Jesus says, if you do these things, you're children of the Most High God. Now, just to be clear, that is not an entry requirement. Jesus isn't saying, now, if you do those things, then you can be my, my kid. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing is he's reminding his disciples who we are. He's saying, remember, this is who you are. You are my children. And children look like their parents. And so when we, when those of us who follow Christ, when we love our enemy, when we bless those who curse us, when we pray for those who mistreat us, when we actively do actions of love towards those who misunderstand us or whatever it is, you know who we look like? We look like our father. 
We look like our father. And why is that? Because of the third reason. The third reason is we do this because this is how he loved us. Why do we love this way? Because this is the way that God loved us. Because the truth is, here's the truth. Agape love, what I just explained to you, agape love comes natural to none of us. None of us naturally, impulsively, instinctually love this way. But God does. Because this is God's MO. It's his instinct to love this way. And so if you and I stand a chance to love in the ways that God has called us to, the only way that's gonna happen is if we depend entirely on him. If we're filled with his love, when we draw close to him and we receive his love, it's only then that we can spread it to the world around us. I wanna invite the band to come up and because as they come up, I wanna end with just one last challenge and then we'll, we'll pray and then we're, we'll be done. Um, like we said earlier, we want this series to be very practical. And so this is a very practical challenge. This is it. I wanna encourage you and challenge you and I ask you to pray about this, even right now to pray about this. What if once a week, and I'm not, not just saying this week, I'm saying once a week as a habit in your life, What if once a week you said, I am deliberately going to do something. I'm gonna make it a habit in my life that once a week I am going to deliberately and intentionally bless a neighbor. I'm going to bless someone with my words, with my prayers, or with my actions. I'm going to make a decision and I'm gonna dedicate time and energy to do that once a week. Now, some of you might be saying, well, only once a week? Well, like, aren't we supposed to live this way all the time? Yes, I think for those of us who follow Christ, we should always be ready to bless with our words. We should always be ready to bless with prayer. We should always be ready to bless with actions. I think always, but listen, what I'm saying is, is agape love is proactive. It's not just responding to the world around us. It's also engaging and making decisions to say, I am going to pursue this. So what if as a way of doing that, once a week, you just said, I am going to do something. I'm gonna write a letter, it's on my schedule. I'm gonna pray through that grid. I'm gonna do that once a week. I'm gonna put that on my calendar. I'm going to purposefully bake cookies and bring them to my neighbor. Unless you're really bad at baking, then go buy some cookies and bring them to your neighbor. Would you talk to God about that? Consider what that might look like in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you've loved us with an agape love, that your love is one that that has been revealed through definitive actions. And we think about the cross and we think about your death in our place, and we think about the resurrection and all these things that we have, the hope of eternity, these are decisive acts of love. These are, this, these, are, um, these are a movement of your will towards us. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would empower us to be a church that loves in the same way. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it on our own, but we have your spirit. And so we pray that you would lead us by your spirit. Show us what it would look like to live a life like this. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.